As I sit here and know that it's my turn and job to say something, apparently, tonight, I'm faced with a number of conditions that are arising. And one is, as I bowed before giving the talk, something happened with my inner ears. Almost like suddenly all this wax suddenly just kind of blocked up my ears. So I'm just curious what it's going to be like to sit with you with less ear capacity than usual. That's one of the conditions. The other is this dramatic storm outside. I don't know if you have any of them going on on the inside as well. Some of us do at different times in practice. In fact, it stands out more, doesn't it, when we're quiet with our own mind here, whatever are the stormy conditions of the inner life stand out. And if you're new to practice, that might be a bit of a shock. It's not unusual. And it means that as we see things arising more clearly in us, we can actually have a chance to work with them more skillfully. So that's two of the conditions. And the other is that I'm aware this is our first day and there's been a lot today. We were hearing the feedback, and also feeling it ourselves. There's been a lot. We've done a lot of different things as we have been setting up this retreat. Different perspectives, different things to think about. Different directions, right? North, south, east and west. So that's one of the other conditions I'm sitting with tonight and wondering what's needed, what would be useful, what might be useful for us to consider together. Aware not to want to overload. our bodies and souls. Curious, does it make anyone else smile when they hear the thunder? I know some people get scared of thunder, just noticing that I'm smiling. The kind of strength. Jaya and I are curious, I think I speak for her when I say I'll just check, curious how you're all doing. We got to hear two groups today, which is really always a privilege actually for me, for us to sit with people who are really sincerely engaging in practice. Thank you. 
curious how the rest of you are doing. And is there even one word you could put on it if I asked you to fill in a form? How are you doing now at 7.37? How have you been doing today? Could you sum it up as one thing? Or would it be many things? (coughs) Excuse me. if there's one thing that I would like to for us to to do together tonight maybe there's two things but one thing is to sit together here right now when we're not trying to do a formal practice but to be here together as a whole group you know we've been working with this idea of our own body and our own location and that whole space around us. I wonder if tonight we could open that out to include all of us sitting here in this room and maybe the birds who've been our companions today. It's like widen that lens for tonight. The meditation hall, the birds... Any other beings that you've met out there, seen or unseen? And take a moment to see if you can still sense your body, that you don't disappear in space, but still feel your bum. Remember this practice where we landed back down on our bum. Feel yourself at the center, like the bullseye of this bigger field of us. So that might mean opening your awareness out to the back, behind you, in front, side to side, above and below. These four divine abidings, these four qualities that we're looking at, exploring reflecting on, intending toward. They are a blueprint, we could say, for sanity. And it's really powerful, a blueprint for health, a blueprint for harmony, a blueprint for the awakened heart. A blueprint for coming into relationship with each other, with the person who delivers my letters, the people I live with, those near, those far, those I'm closely connected to and those that I'm not. Human beings, animal beings, other beings. And I think as I practice now, I, I, gosh, like 25 years, 
there's a kind of a humility that's, that slowly comes of, yes, I see this actually. wasn't always my faith. As I mentioned earlier, I really struggled with metta and all of the cynicism and doubt and kind of poisonous pain, actually, that had kind of congealed in my heart places of my own hurt that I couldn't open to yet. My hurt of having felt hurt and also the hurt that I inflicted on myself or the ways I had acted out from that hurt. Not able yet to resonate with that, not able yet to meet that from these Brahma Viharas and not that it's finished, not that we're finished ever. But slowly as I recognize, sometimes with practice, we recognize, well, what else am I going to do with my attention? You know, we might go, this is nice, I'll do it for a day, sit for a minute, and then we do other stuff with our attention, and it gets us into all kinds of situations that we go, hold on a second, I want to I get my bearings again, I want to orient around something that feels reliable, something that's trustworthy. I invest my attention in so many things where I'm not conscious of what I'm doing with my attention. I'm compelled. My attention can be compelled. Can yours ever? Like compelled, I've got to go do that thing. I've got to think this thing. I've got to say that thing. I've got to not say that thing. Right? Compelled attention is not free attention. And love is the free offer of attention. So how many times I'll go down certain rabbit holes and then come back okay what can I actually invest in that's more reliable in terms of return because we invest our attention in many things so it's not necessarily the things themselves the activities our life could in our life could be many many things but what am I doing? Where is the attention being placed and how consciously, how awake or how compelled is my attention? I tell this story sometimes. I like it very much. And he gave me permission. One man on a retreat some years ago now, he was in the group, small group meeting with me. And he said, um, he said, oh, I have to say sorry. I have to ask for your forgiveness. Uh, I said, why? He said, I was here last year on the retreat. And um, I got so irritated with you, I just left. <laughs> and uh, and is it like a year on, he could say it with, without much venom, which was very nice. I was happy about that. Um, and he said, you know what happened? Something happened in the small group last year, small group meeting last year, and I was so angry. He said, I got in my car, and I'd already gotten half the way down the A38 to Plymouth, before I had a moment of mindfulness and went, oh, look what I just did. Right? He was so, you know, we say blinded with rage or I'm sure it wasn't all about me. Um, but whatever it was, I was the trigger. And he, he was so, he'd lost his perspective. He'd lost the space. 
he lost his deeper intention. You know, typically we might say that's freedom to do what I want, when I want, how I want, whatever I want. And there's nothing, you know, it's fine. But what he saw is, wow, that's indicative of me, he said. And I realized there was no freedom in that. So I came back this year <laughs> to try again, <laughs> to try again. Right? You can come back. And I don't just mean here, I mean metaphorically to this, in this case, this framework. And, and, and I can share after really a struggle with metta, I would say. Of course, in the, my mind, I like the idea. Of course, I like kindness. Who doesn't? Apart from the places in my heart and the pockets in my heart that didn't trust kindness. The cynicism that said, yeah, but that's not really going to cut it for these places. That's, that's nice for nice people kind of stealing myself. You know that lovely expression in English? I steal myself. Take myself away. I thief myself. I extract myself from the earth, from the boundlessness, from the inevitable intimacy we have with each other as, as beings. And I steal myself away. And from that vantage point, I... And we all have our own different patterns. But from that vantage point, I said, part of me was saying no. Don't trust it. Angry even with kindness. Suspicious of it. Suspicious of benevolence. Does anybody recognize this? You will know this if you, if you know it. <laughs> if you don't, you don't need to look for it. <laughs> really not. Really not. I delight in your good fortune. So the one thing I was going to say for us to sit together, one of the two things, even though obviously I'm saying a lot now, but one of the two things is um, the basis for these four qualities uh, is what is called in the tradition, I think the word correctly is said, anukampati, is that right, Jaya? For, yeah, for the, the pulsating along. And the, yeah. So the basis of these qualities, like the, the sensitive strings of our instrument, and I think it, one of its connotations is to be able to pulsate, to vibrate along with things like the strings imagine you're an instrument and you are you are the most extraordinary instrument a human being so many ways of knowing so many so much to us and i'm not denying the so much to other beings but there is a lot to us and imagine you're an instrument and like an instrument let's say you've got strings or you know multiple ways of being of making melody. And those strings, when another stringed instrument in the room has its sound, somebody plays a, a note, we pulsate along, we vibrate along with. So I wanted us to practice that vibrating along with tonight, just here as human instruments, sensitive, with beautiful aspirations, 
with tricky parts to us, with the desire to love and be loved, to be able to share our gift and our love, to be left intact, to be seen with eyes of friendliness. We can vibrate here together, it's where we meet. Our differences are really interesting and beautiful and can provide such uh, beauty. And what unites us is where we can pulsate so that those differences are also part of the music. So what does that mean, actually, practically? Sounds very nice. How do we pulsate along together? This is where it becomes a a meditative art and not just a lovely idea from the 60s, right? I think that was a good idea in the 60s, you know, getting the the vibe or whatever the language was, Um, just slightly before my time. But actually, as a meditative art, as a serious training, what, where we can actually work with this is two factors I'd like to offer you t- for your contemplation. Two trainings of attention, two ways that attention can deepen <coughs> and go just beyond good ideas and nice talk to something that actually takes root in our being and starts to vibrate and have dimension and meaningfulness that speaks to us, that we recognize and say, oh, yeah, there's more here. And I want to know that. So these two qualities are in the tradition called vitaka and vichara. And vitaka, we could say, is the good idea. The vitaka is the pointing, the agreement with ourself of what, in this case, what I am going to attend to in my meditation. So the vitaka, the pointing, the concept was, okay, I'm going to attend to this body and the space around the body, and I'm going to keep coming back to that. And every time my mind wanders off, collapses around an object, I'm going to remember that idea and come back to that. That's vitaka. Vichara is the capacity to sustain our attention. So once we've got here, who's experienced this? We get back, oh yeah, body, got it, collapse. What are, what are we going to have for lunch? Body, body, uh, God, when's she going to stop talking about such and such? Right? Body, body. Vitaka, vichara is to linger, is to actually sustain our attention in such a way that we start to imbue and suffuse and linger longer with the object and the arena that we have decided to stay with. In our practice today, that means tuning our attention to sensation, to vibration, to felt sense, to bum on the earth, to breath moving in the body and how it affects the space. And can I linger? It's it's a slower process than vitaka. It's easy to point. It's easy to point. It's harder to stay. 
right? So when we were pointing to the directions today and introducing the idea, my friend, my friend is the vitaka, it's the idea, it's the agreement I have in that moment. But yeah, my friend, right, what's next? No vichara. Can I pause and quiet long enough, vitaka, my friend, vichara, what am I noticing when I say that? Oh, wow. Well, I thought I was supposed to feel loving and happy, but actually I noticed that my heart's really contracted. Vichara. We're not trying to have the right experience. We want to find out what's here and learn how to make contact. Because in making contact with what's here, this is what starts to be interesting. This is, this is where we take it from a consumerist path to trying to have a good experience for myself to the pilgrimage of actually stepping back and seeing, oh, this is what's here. I didn't necessarily want this, but this is what's here. How do I attend to this skillfully? Vichaka, vichara, lingering. Feeling out, it's a slower read, it's a, an acquired taste. It's something that we need a little quiet for in the beginning to train this aspect. And we will pick this up a little bit more tomorrow. So to vibrate along together, we need to sustain, we need to open our attention to each other and see how we impact each other because we do. We do. We invariably impact each other for better and for worse. And I don't know about you, but I think for, uh, for a very long time, I have felt really ambivalent about the inevitable fact that I, we, impact each other. You know, because supposing I make the wrong impact. Anybody afraid of themselves? Keep themselves a little small, hide a little bit your light under a bushel, um, squash down a little bit of your love just in case it doesn't go down well. Do any of you recognize that in relationship? And that doesn't mean impact means I have to force myself on the other. No, we're leaving intact. The balance of equanimity lets us respect the integrity of the other. I'm not demanding they do something with the way I affect you and I don't have to do something about the way you affect me. But I can know it. And this is the basis of our connection, of course. We hide all of that or we limit it for fear of what might come out Does anybody not know that fear of, oops, if I, if I let myself take up room, I might say the wrong thing. I might, I might have a dodgy thought about someone and they might be able to tell. I might fancy them. I, I better just wrap it all up. We can be trustworthy with our inner life as we practice these Brahma Viharas. They give us safety, sanity, 
such that the radiance that each of you is and the very particular kind of radiance that each of you is can be in the service of what you love the most. The other thing I wanted to offer tonight is just a few reflections about a theme that can help free up the heart. And I'm not sure that we'll thoroughly go there tonight. I might just introduce the idea and um, we'll see how much there's time for. It's a word that, it's a, tr- it's a tricky word in English, maybe in other languages. Um, I just want to see how it lands with you when you hear the word. <clears throat> And lands with you means conceptually, resonantly. What happens in your body when I say this word? What happens in your heart? So I'll be curious, actually. So the word is forgiveness. Forgiveness. What happens in your the fabric of your body and heart and mind. When you hear the word, anybody want to say what happens when I put that word in? The concept or the feeling? The feeling, okay, thank you. Sometimes concept and feeling can come right together, so yeah. Okay, no, it's a really, it's a beautiful point, yes. When you hear the word, interesting. Thank you. Anything else? Uneasy. Uneasy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else? Yearning. Yeah. So let's breathe with all of these very normal human responses. All of them. Anything else to that concept? Yeah, yeah, thank you for saying that. So I'm going to offer just a couple of reflections about that. (coughs) This is a quote I like from um, Alain de Botton, the British (coughs) sort of Philosopher? Is that what he is? Of life? So is that, does he? Okay. He calls himself a philosopher of life. Now I'm thinking of you, Sue. I'm gonna <laughs> when I wrote this was a few years ago. He says this about us. See if you recognize yourself here. He says, The unsympathetic assessments we make of others. Has anybody not done that, you can come and swap places with me. (laughs) The unsympathetic assessments we make of others are usually the result, wait for it, of nothing more sinister than our habit of looking at them in the wrong way. Through lenses 
clouded by distraction, exhaustion, and fear, which blind us to the fact that they too are really, despite a thousand differences, just altered versions of ourselves, fellow fragile, uncertain, flawed beings, likewise craving love and in urgent need of forgiveness. I find that very sympathetic. <laughs> the unsympathetic assessments we make of others, if you were to fill in that, the response from your knee-jerk self-assessment, <clears throat> the unkindest version of why you think you do that, who might say the unsympathetic assessments I make of others are usually the result because they're stupid, right? You know, we might be really, nobody that gross in their mind because they're bad, because I'm bad, because I'm wrong, right? See how we make absolutes about ourselves and the other. And what he's pointing to is very dharmic. It's actually we're clouded. Attention is clouded. Attention always has an affect. It always has a color to its lens. And he's saying here, these lenses are clouded by distraction, exhaustion, and fear, <coughs> which blind us to the fact that they are really, despite a thousand differences, altered versions of ourselves. Fellow fragile, uncertain, flawed beings, likewise craving love and in urgent need of forgiveness. I already feel better. That's where we can meet, too. And how about we apply that to ourself, our unsympathetic assessment of ourself? is the result of nothing more sinister than our habit of looking at ourselves in the wrong way, through lenses clouded by fear, distraction, exhaustion, which blind us to the fact that we're fragile, vulnerable, uncertain, flawed beings, craving love and in need of forgiveness. Charlotte Joko Beck, one teacher, one Buddhist teacher, says, Our failure to know joy is a direct reflection of our inability to forgive. Whatever we are present to, she says, this is an American English, I think, whatever we are present to, garden variety blame, it's North American, isn't it? English, they say garden variety, or does that come over here? I think it just means like regular day to day blaming somebody's writing them off, just ordinary variety. Whether it's um, garden variety blame, the aversion that arises from abuse, or the rage that is a legacy of historic injustice. She's including all those very pertinent levels. Our failure to know joy is a direct reflection of our inability to forgive.
Forgiveness is, as I'm glad a couple of people mentioned, but yeah, absolutely can bring relief and uh, ease, and it can bring resistance and suspicion. And it's 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 a really tricky thing because I think I don't know if any of you have ever had that concept given to you prematurely, almost like, oh, this is the answer: you forgive, forgive, forgive your brother. Forgive your sister. Nice people forgive. Good people forgive. And we sort of hurried along, shunted along a road to, to trying to be good. And something in the heart hasn't been cared for yet or attended to. And something doesn't quite feel right. Or we do it conceptually in our head, oh, I forgive you. But nothing really goes to the level of vichara. Nothing takes root in the soil of us such that something wants to shift and open and and melt and get wise. It becomes another armor. Do any of you recognize that? It becomes another kind of shell, like another jacket to wear. Or a jacket we refuse to wear if we're keen to have an integrity with what feels important to acknowledge, the pain, the injustice, or even where we may have caused harm, right? So there's where harm may have been caused to us. There's where we may have caused harm, and we do. We invariably will and have, and right? But to be able to take that too from the level of scrambling to justify via the guilt to the tenderness of remorse to the melting and the cracking of our heart of our own pain, our own quaking, vulnerable humanity, which, when we ground in these Brahma-viharas, can have a strength to it that does not mean that we only collapse, but it takes us down to meet each other in a way that we could never have imagined before. Forgiveness uncovers our vulnerability. And really we can only do it sincerely, I think, and offer it and practice it when we are able to hold our own being with kindness first. We can set it as an intention. I want to be able to forgive you. I want to be able to forgive myself. I want to ask for your forgiveness. We can set it as an intention, but really to be able to meet our own being in kindness is where that becomes from just a good idea to something that is healing, is healing. I was very struck. There's a young person I know very well, quite well, for many years. And as she got to her teens and was really, really, really struggling in some really difficult territory with drugs and situations that, that were really difficult and things then, the actions that came from that, that, that were... hard for her to live with. 
that were hard for her to live with. And she said, she was with me, and she said um, she was really struggling. And I asked her, and sometimes we do this in practice, I asked her, who does she know whose gaze, gaze from their eyes, the way they see her, whose gaze she trusted? Who do you know whose gaze you trust? Somebody in whose eyes, and when they regard you, you can soften and know that it's okay. And I, I knew it was a risky question because I didn't know if there would be someone. And I had the follow-up exercise if there was someone. And she said, there, she said there's a man I met um, somewhere. I think it was in the context of some kind of... I, I can't remember exactly. But he was in some advocacy role for young people, I think. And she said, there's a man I met... Um, I wish I could have her words here to do it really justice. A man I met, and he, she said he himself had been in prison, and she said he himself had um, the kind of tattoos that aren't the really beautiful art ones. They're the kind, sometimes I've heard and I've, I, I know from people, there can be like scribbling ones. People are, you know, need something to do, and they, they ink themselves in sort of like graffiti kinds of ways on their body in, in jail. And... She said he had t- tattoos and he could really... I, I trust his gaze. I trust his gaze when he looks on me. I said, what is it you trust about him? And I said, is it his strength? Because I think he was this kind of big guy with, you know, good heart and a solid body. Was it his strength? Was it his kindness? Was it his... What was it about him? Because I was hoping for her to draw that out so she could practice with him as her image. And she said... And she, she looked really tender and she said... I trusted him because he'd forgiven himself. He'd forgiven himself. He spoke to her of what can be turned around with work. No doubt it took him work and probably continues to. So there's some groundwork that we can do if we want to move in the direction of forgiving ourselves for the ways we may have hurt others. Forgiving others for the ways they may have hurt us. Forgiving ourselves for the ways we may have hurt ourselves. And to take care to be able to hold our own being in compassion first a little bit more. So I think maybe we can end this this part of the evening and I'm going to invite you to uh, practice with me to hold our own being in a compassionate awareness, in a merciful awareness. I love this word, in English, mercy. It's a really beautiful word. It's probably, I guess it has a Latin root, right? Does it? I wonder. Um, 
mercy, a mercy, holding ourselves in a merciful, compassionate <clears throat> attention. And <clears throat> like with these practices, it's not like you can just switch this on, right? Okay, going to hold myself in merciful, compassionate attention, right? Off I go, right? It doesn't work like this. You can't just do a vitaka with a magic wand, right? Compassionate, merciful attention in seat number five. Bing! Right? It's, it's, it's vichara, it's vitaka, it's an intention. And it's, we have to, we learn, we learn how to lean into the intention the intention is beautiful and we can learn how to lean in to the resonance of compassion. We can learn how to um, pick up images of compassion. So for this young woman, this man was someone, if she could not only vitaka, see him, concept, but linger with the image of him, let his gaze fall upon her. That would be healing for her. And in that gaze, she would probably soften and melt as we tend to in the gaze of love, a genuine love, a love that goes deep, a love that knows what it means to be a sentient being. So I'm going to begin with a chant, and you can join in. In fact, it would be great if you want to join in. And we're going to invoke, if you wish, a... Remember at the beginning I said, open your awareness up to this whole field, right? This whole room, the birds, and all of us. We're going to intend to suffuse this field. Remember our chant, we're suffusing and pervading with our sound, with our chant, letting our voice carry our intention. We don't have to be perfect. In fact, we can't be. We are invited to put our attention and our feet into something more reliable than any image of perfection. <coughs> These boundless qualities, which can deepen and widen and be very, very real. And as they become real, we don't get more perfect. As they become real, we get more and more to be what we are. And as we chant, you can bring in any, any image of compassion for yourself, anyone whose gaze you trust or any being, human or otherwise, who's lived on this earth or has not is a figure that arises in your soul's imagination or someone you know intimately or a world figure that you don't know personally but that speaks to you, whose gaze, when is, that is turned upon you, something in that gets your attention something in it you trust, even if the cynicism and the poison and the distraction arise, something in it has a kind of homing instinct, honing instinct for that. It's like, yeah, something there I trust. And in the tradition we have 
many such images, and one is Kuan Yin, the Bodhisattva of compassion. She, he, they appears in all of those genders, I believe. He, she, they, uh, who hears the cries of the world. She, one of her figures is this one here, next to Jaya. She has another image where she sits in this posture. I, I, I have a beautiful statue at home of her. If I go home tonight, I'll bring her in. She sits in a posture called royal ease. She's, she's cool. <laughs> she can resonate with the cries of the world. She can hear them intimately. She is more intimate than like, I'm over here hearing your cry. She's not anxiously trying to fix the cry. She's got her feet in those Brahma Viharas. And so she can sit in this posture where her leg goes up like this. She's sitting on a chair. I'm going to mimic her. Let's see if it thunders if I do. <laughs> she sits on a chair. She sits on a chair, like for my blasphemy. She sits on a chair. She has one leg up, one on the earth. She's really, like, she has one elbow like this, but she's very upright. And she, she's, she's, she's awake. She's resonant. She's very open. She's active. She's strong. And she hears the cries of the world and pours her healing balsam over our, the shells of our heart, the aches of our heart, the bruises of our heart, from the pain we may have caused ourselves, caused others, the pain of the world that circles through us, how can it not? The hurt that we have, may have received at the hands of another. All of that, all of that, heard, heard in this field of these trustworthy qualities, and, and as I practice longer, I humbly trust it more. So we'll chant her chant, and you can bring whoever, whichever figures come to mind, and we'll set up an intention of a compassionate um, awareness that can hear our cries. And then when we've got that going, I will name some of the pains that may be in our hearts tonight at times. And my intention as we chant to do that is not to recite a litany of misery. It is for us to recognize them from this place of this bigger field, from this place of this compassionate attention, from the ears of Kuan Yin. They are not other than your ears, your deepest nature, your unoccluded, solar, radiant heart that gets bound up in bindings and shells. So if at any point, if it's too intense for you, then back off. And backing off might mean um, <clears throat> turning your metaphorical body to face south, <laughs> so to speak, right? So the meta, face north. Remember the equanimity. Oh yeah, I will leave you intact, including myself. When I'm resonating with my own pain, I also have the feet of equanimity. I will leave you intact. I won't fiddle with you. And we have the light touch 
of joy. <coughs> but it's, it's not intended that it's intense, but just take care of your heart. The intention is to uh, hold ourselves with compassionate awareness. So the, the chant we will do is the chant that emphasizes and brings out the tender aspect of compassion. Compassion has power. It has tenderness. It has action. But this tonight, the tender, the tenderizing, that resonating, that pulsating along with each other, with ourselves. Okay. So the, the, the language is Omane Padme Hung, homage. Homage means like. What's another word for homage? Honor, respect, thank you. I honor and respect, thank you. I honor and respect this quality of compassion, this beautiful aspect of each of our hearts that's visible the more our occlusions start to burn off a little bit. Om Mane Padme Hung has three lines, and I'll do this with my hands so you get the melody. This has a few more notes than our other chant. So it goes like this. <clears throat> Om Mani Padme Hungri Om Mani Padme Hungri Om Mani Padme the men who want to sing is that the wrong pitch for you yeah so we start a bit lower or higher we should find you shouldn't we <clears throat> what do you reckon lower yeah well i know it that makes look anyway yeah. om om mani padme hungri om mani Padme Hungri Om Mani Padme Padme Hung. 
intention to abide with this quality. Feel your body. Let your singing come through your flesh. Let it rattle your bones. Let it radiate out from your chest, the intention. Om Mani Padme It's being offered to you right now from the outside. Whether it's Kuan Yin or the man who has forgiven himself. Or whoever else. Let them gaze upon you, let their ears turn toward you. Let yourself be seen by them. Let them do their work of radiating towards you. And stand in the courage to receive their gaze. And whatever they see in the pockets of your heart. Your nobility and your pain. They see you and wish you well. They recognize you. As a sentient being. Your beauty, your gift, your hiddenness, your shame. Om 
for any bindings in your heart. Let them hear, let them see. For the ways you have stolen yourself and extracted yourself from the earth. the shells around your sensitivity. That may be trying to protect our wounds. Wherever those wounds have been inflicted. for the ways we may have rejected our own pain. See what emerges in the ears of compassion. See what wants to come forward from you. To be met, to be heard, to be seen, to be pulsated with. Maybe our loneliness or isolation. Maybe our ambivalence at being alive at times. Maybe the belief that we think there's something wrong with us. Maybe the spinning of our mind. Maybe the ache in our heart. Maybe the daily self-neglect of our body or our mind. Maybe our jealousy, our hatred. Maybe our desperate need to make others bad. wants to come into the gaze of this one. Any 
any banished parts. Taking care. Letting your awareness stay wide. If it collapses down around a particular, stretching it back open, feeling your bum on the cushion, and lingering with if there are any resonances in your body, in your heart, right now, that want to be cared for, whether that's caring for the concrete of our being that hardens and is not yet able to feel, caring for that. Maybe there's a lot of sweetness and tenderness caring for that. Maybe there's a stillness or a pain or an ache caring for that. Breathing in with your body. Breathing out. widening into the space of your body and the area around your body gathering in now from the whole room like rakes, imagine your hands are like garden rakes raking in coming now again to that shape that we have been working with your body and just a little bit of space around the body. Letting your body fill out that space and whatever resonances are here from our work together tonight. Tend, meeting them with lenses, colored, with the intention of friendliness. Yes, you too are my friend. You too are sentient. You too want to be met with eyes of love.
meeting with compassion, lenses colored by compassion. I care about your pain. Even that protest voice in us that says, no, I don't care for that. Care for that contraction. Don't judge it or blame it. Meeting yourself tonight with a light touch. With the possibility of royal ease that has deep capacity for the depth of pain, but is not defined by it. does not draw her identity from it. And letting yourself be intact. I will let you be as you are, where you are. sit together for a few minutes just to tend with kindness. And if that means putting your hand on any part of your body that calls for that, please do. It can be very, very skillful. Your heart, your head, your belly. And if anything from this exercise tonight, right now, since your body is nourishing or stilling or softening or widening or melting, or strengthening, or pervading, whatever is wholesome. Lean your attention into that right now. 
Maybe there's more room. Maybe there's an exquisite tenderness. Maybe you're just not giving yourself a hard time. That is profound. It's a skill in practice to lean in to what is wholesome. What is abiding here and now? Tend to that. Give it room. And let it work on you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.